yeah, yeah. Look. Hey, man, it's your boy Fabby Davis Jr., the Mac Pack, man. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, niggas be hating on the town, man. So what I did was put together the bosses from their areas so we can really show y'all how this shit go, man. Look. Uh, I got the North, got the East, got the West with me. So I suggest you niggas don't mess with me, nigga. Be cool. Well, this, 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 like bait right here. Because all this that we're doing, we did some shows with the ranch and R&B dudes. We didn't have people on here and been shot in the face, survivors of that, that walk away from it and still completely sane. Um, we had rappers that's from down there in Compton. And we like, all right, how you going to be in California? You can't go to You got to go up there. So, fast calls and then we're like, oh, can, can we touch down? Where are you from? I'm from Compton. Okay. Yeah. But can we touch down and shine up here? Why not? So it's touching the roots. This will be like that 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 bait line because nobody's really had access to the right. bait area culture. Everybody see certain things and they just go off that. Right, right, right. Me personally, I didn't learn nothing about the bait until I went to prison. And when I went in there, I'm like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like this, you know, I told President about the first time I met somebody from the bait. He was the, my OG pilot. Like, this, this old ass nigga there with Tim his own. You got the shades on and all this type right. of shit. You know what I'm saying? It's respectful. They educate you, and then it's it's a different vibe. You know, up here, y'all more, y'all together is more organization compared mm-hmm. to to down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the look on his face is like, oh, yeah. but it's it's true. So like, your resume is long. Yeah. Yeah. We rolling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, your resume is long. I, I like. I, I. I became aware of you like in the late '90s when I was in prison in Salinas Valley. Um, so you started off. Um, tell us how you started off. Like, how did you get into this? Like, where did you come up? Matter of fact, can we do a, a comparison and contrast with, with what Apple says about them? You know what I'm saying? What? Yeah. Oh, you haven't read? You haven't seen what Apple says about you? All right. Uh-huh. Let's let's do the true or false. This gonna be right. MythBusters right here. You know, because, you know, I got to do my homework. Right. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. About Mr. Fab, sometimes held as the crown prince of San Francisco Bay Area hyphy movement. North Oakland-based rapper Mr. Fab presents a somewhat exceptional combination of street credibility, social consciousness, astute introspection, and irrepressible goofiness. He stresses the positivity of hyphy party, uh, hyphy's party happy, irrelevant but inspirational go dumb mentality, and manifests a dedication to inner city social issues. Though he's not immune to mainstream rap flamboyant materialism, a slew of mixtapes, compilations, and guests made him. How do you say that? I mean, you the poet, bro. So what, what's that right there? What's that right there? Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Yeah, ubiquitous. yeah heavy, ubiquitous. heavy everywhere. Ubiquitous. Yeah, that's heavy everywhere. Yeah, ubiquitous in the local scene throughout 2005, 2006, and he remains active and prolific well into the 2020s. Okay, well, shout out to Apple over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever wrote that over at Apple. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, and he an 80s baby. 1982, January 23rd. Yeah. Yeah, you started early then. Yeah. Um. I think just in the infancy stages of starting writing with me became a go-to. My dad died from AIDS in 94. How old were you at that time? I was 12. Oh. My mom was recovering from drugs. And me being a young dude who had a lot of pent up 
aggression. I began writing. I began writing what I was going through, what I was feeling, and the things that I didn't understand at that time. Um, my writing was discovered by one of my teachers at the time on the flute. Now when I look back, she was actually invading my privacy. <laughs> yeah. But I had left a journal in class and she, you know, briefly ran through it. And they called me in the class when I thought I was in trouble. And it was like, we want you to get into this poetry slam. We want you to speak about it. I'm like, why you was reading my poem? I was like, why did you go in my journal? Because right. it was very personal to me at the time. You know what I'm saying? My dad had died from AIDS, man. And at that time, we didn't know what. You can't keep walking around these cameras. You see all these damn cameras around here. I'm just telling him to go in the back. Try to watch that other camera set. Learn how to work one of these cameras. <laughs> you should job. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, at that time, AIDS was a very sensitive subject. You know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't really, we didn't have it figured out yet. Like people didn't know. And, and in the black community, it was always like, you got AIDS, you were either homosexual or you were, really that was it. Like we, at that time, we didn't know what it was. So imagine being, you know, 12 years old and your mom telling you your dad died from AIDS. There's a lot of things going on in your mind, not really, you know, not really knowing. So I just was- and you're right here in Oakland at that time? For sure. Okay. Just began writing. And I developed a passion for writing. And that's what really kind of led me to where I am today. Just always writing, always creating, always thinking about what could be the next move or what can I create with my mind and the pen and the pad and uh, bring it into reality. So you're still journaling and writing today? For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I noticed immediately as soon as we pulled up here, the relevant substance of what Oakland has done for the nation of the black community. The man got a picture of Huey P. Newton out front. Yeah, behind. I don't know if everybody understands what that means. It means a lot to me, just knowing what what Oakland, what birth uh, Oakland, you know what I'm saying, and just the misperception that people have about the the Panther movement. You were in the the early '80s, so I know moms and pops came through that. What did they instill that in you, like the the actual stand up for yourself. No, well, my moms and pops wasn't involved in the political movement like that, but my uncle was, my mother, my grandmother's brother, and he was very militant, very conscious, and the Panthers kind of represent a reflection of what Oakland is in its totality, you know what I'm saying, the whole, in a microcosm, Huey Newton was all of that, Huey Newton represented a lot, and there are things that the dark side of Oakland knows about Huey that the rest of the world may not have knew of some of the things that he was involved in and things of like that, but it was a real rounded figure in Oakland. He was political, he was radical, he was, he was a player. There was a multitude of things. Um, but growing up from that political influence, it's not that far. It's very magnetic and if you're open to it, uh, it'll seep through and you'll sponge it up. You know, one thing about us, that the areas that we come from, we become sponges. We pick up things. Sometimes it's funny the things that you do pick up, that you remember, that you store. And from an educational point of view, 
the political aspect of it was something that I, I was fond of, very fond of, and I, was, I appreciated what Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, and uh, Bobby Hutton, and arrest, the rest of the brothers and sisters were able to do. I was interested in that. I was interested how is a man 19, 20 years old creating this organization that pumped so much fear in America that it made him public enemy number one. Hey, at a young age, you were like aware of like yeah, the, the yeah, political very, activity too. I've always been prone to knowledge. I loved <clears throat> learning, and I was always interested in that. I yeah. was always interested in um, where we come from. We like to call guys like myself hip squares. You know, you know, we 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 the cool guys, but we also the smart guys. Yeah. yeah. So you you know you're finding that balance. And I think that has become my niche by embracing that instead of running from it. There was once a time where in class you'd be ashamed of knowing. For sure. Yeah. You'd be ashamed yeah. of knowing all the answers and you'll deliberately do things to disrupt the activity and the frequencies of you know, positive learning. But as you get older, you're embracive and you take upon that role as a leader and a teacher and an organizer uh, in the community. And that's the role that I've... Uh, I've taken here. Yeah, I seen you had like the uh, one of the ten uh, biggest organizations as a rapper. That's what they said. Yeah. Oh yeah, we we, we do homework. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, ten rappers. Story. Like you have like one of the biggest like philanthropic um, contributions. That's dope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been doing it for like two decades. Uh, hey Jeff. What are you guys doing? Two decades in the community of just continuing to pour into. Um, in the infancy stages that we would just, as you, as you begin to go to new levels in life, you understand the languages of those levels. Because for every new level, there's a new language. In the prison, there's a language of communication. There are certain things that you can say, you can't say, and you learn that. I think you pick that up very quick, you know? Yeah. Uh, just like it is out here. But as you begin to elevate in all different worlds, corporate world, structure, government world, political worlds, all of these different levels, you begin to learn the languages that are accompanied by these levels. When we first started doing uh, philanthropy in the community, community philanthropic work, it was just we giving out backpacks. We doing backpack giveaways. Now, in 2023, it's community restoration. We're servicing unserved community, underserved communities. We're going out and linking in with organizations that have the backing to help us do it bigger. When I was young, I was like, I don't want to do no 5013C. I don't want nobody to feel like I'm just doing this for a tax write-off because I was midget-minded. And when you're midget-minded, you only see things prospectively to your bias of you. But when you get older, you realize that just as well as you want to help the community, there are, under, there are other individuals that want to help in droves. But for them helping, they want to be able to write it off to protect themselves through taxes and things of that nature. But the main goal is to serve the community. As long as they get served? As long as they get served. Regardless. If I'm linking with Pepsi or if I'm linking with Red Bull or if I'm linking with uh, a retired U.S. seaman, Navy seaman who wants to do something for the community and he has to give away a certain amount of money. There are corporations that have to give away a certain amount of money yeah, yeah, yeah. 
to, so they don't have to end up getting taxed on other money. Whatever it is, if you're linking up with these people and they want to help out the community, whatever their purpose is, whatever. I, I don't care what y'all doing it for. At the end of the day, you're trying to give something to My main thing is we helping these people, we feeding these kids, we setting up a pipeline to eradicate the prison pipeline and create the college pipeline. We're able to give kids an opportunity that many of us didn't have. Travel, trade. Yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So whatever their diabolical twisted plot is, that's irrelevant to the point. The point is we just took a thousand kids here or we bought a hundred laptops for some kids that used to have to go to public libraries or, bar, bar, you know what I'm saying? Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what we own. What is, what is the, the current state of Oakland right now from your, your viewing? Because you seem, I'm going to be honest with you, you sound like the killer Mike of the Bay right now. Wait, <laughs> he elaborating, you know your stuff. You just not somebody get up here just jaw jacking, popping that shit. You really like, no, this, 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 this. What is the state? Where is the state of Oakland right now? And where do you see it growing? Where do you, a person that's lived here day one, you know, you can tell you feel like you're at home. He got, he, man, let me hop up over here with the house shoes on right. real quick. Where do you feel and where do you see it going? Well, that's relative because we can talk about a lot of things of where the state is. Mm -hmm. It's just all depending on what area you're talking about. If we're talking about Oakland as a whole, as a collective, then we have to dig into the intricacies of what are we actually talking about? What infrastructure are we talking about? Are we talking about education? Are we talking about crime? Are we talking about businesses? Are we talking about gentrification? You know, for 12 miles, this city has a multitude of dynamics. Oakland is only 12 miles. But within oh, those wow. 12 miles... What do you mean 12 miles? 12 miles big. Oakland's yeah. population of 440,000 people. It's a very small city. I didn't realize that. It's extremely small. It's crazy because what the media puts out right. about Oakland, right. how they they blow it up. I don't know if they the, the words they speak blow up your ears and it blows, the sights that you see blows up your eyes to make it seem like this place is about big as New York or Oakland Texas. Oakland is a something. small metropolis. And it's crazy yeah, like that, that because you would think that Oakland was huge. When you'd be like, bro, you could get anywhere in Oakland in 20 minutes. That's insane. Oakland is only 12 Man, miles. Oakland might be smaller than Compton. Oakland is damn near might be smaller than Compton. Compton is, 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 is very small. I think probably little than, than my city is Watts. Like, so, so you're looking at that. So we talk about crime. Yeah, that's. Which is secondary reference. And then in order to address the secondary, we must address the primary. We must talk about the systematic and we must talk about systematic engineer programs that have had poverty the way that it is. And we have to talk about the effects of these things what poverty produces. Poverty produces crime. Poverty produces frustration, financial uh, attachment. Uh, and it makes people do things out of a knack of survival. So when we talk about the high flux of crime in the city, we have to talk about the primary. Why is it like that? Oakland is the number fourth most expensive place to live in the country. Yeah, that's this is the pipeline number four. I think San Francisco and Oakland, they, they kind of like partner them up together. Wow. So then you got like New York, LA maybe, right. 
we're looking at San Francisco, Oakland. Like it's it's up there. It's top five most expensive places. Looking at stuff on Zillow, we we looking at the at the houses. It's like, insane. Yeah, it's crazy. How can you it's extremely gentrified. Um, the gentrifying of it, black people only make up eleven percent of the city. Um, but the crime that is being committed and most of the, the murders are being committed are uh, primarily blacks. So uh, super incrimination, um, high crime rate in our areas. Um, but I don't like focusing on the negative. Right. So when you ask me what's the state of Oakland, I can easily point that out. Because right. unfortunately what rappers tend to do is make their city seem like it's the worst place on earth. But this is a utopia, and in this utopia, there are so many different things on the flip side. It's a vast opportunity. Like, what are the great, some of the great things about Oakland? Some of the great things are that you have a person who can come from a city and own businesses right in the heart of their city. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. I own a clothing store right here. I own a nightclub across the street. I own a museum down, a few streets down. I own a couple of nail shops. You have a museum? Yeah, an art museum that's going to be launching, which will be a part of... Uh, the, it's going to be a sub-campus for the school that we plan on launching. We have a school that will be launching um, hopefully October. Well, I'll start introducing classes like October, gearing up for the spring. And the school is more so like an academy. The academy to teach entrepreneurialism. It'll teach finance. It'll teach computer coding. Wow. When's that uh, going to be up and running? It, it probably, like, like I say, the, the goal, um, the goal is within the next 16 months. How many Damn, that's... artists do you know right now, you can name off the top of your hand, have schools? Yeah. Kodak Black, when they did it in, ha in Haiti. Nip did it in LA. Uh, Shaq got one. I know LeBron got school. And then we, then we looking at guys, when, when we compare those names, you're looking at Super millionaires. And that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, I'm you know? kind of afraid to ask you what the, uh, what the secret is. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's, it's doing it, bro. Like, it's doing it. I want to know what drives you. Like, you could be spending your time doing a lot of, you know, other ventures and business things, but to pour yourself into, like, the kids and the community work. I can still see my mama crying in her room. Mm. It wasn't... The tears meant more than just, it was more than tears. It was, this was a woman that was willing to die for the survival of her son. This is a woman who went to the corner and was like, I'm willing to die and kill about my son. Y'all not about to sell my son drugs. Y'all not finna have my son out here selling drugs. And when you deal with a woman that was that serious about her child, she poured into me more than anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it hits home. I got my grandma. It's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I refused to let her deal. My mom... My mom has passed about almost going 13 years. But I refused to let her down because it's a woman that worked three, four jobs, bro. I didn't even know he was poor coming up. Yeah, that's crazy. 
Like I didn't, you know, I was the cool kid. I was the kid who I had everything you could think of. Now nah, you let them drip, man. I'm all right. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a man. Absolutely. Um, I had every pair of shoes you could think of. I had. I was the cool kid. I was the pop. I played sports. I was like most popular kid. Was fly all the time. I had everything that you you know you would have thought. I was that guy. I was a kid. I was you know every. You go to my room. Every I had every shoe. I had every Tommy Hilfiger coat. I had all of that. And it made me respect it when I got older. Because at the time you didn't respect. It. I just was a spoiled kid. I didn't know no different. I didn't know that my mom was working four jobs. We damn near missed payment away from being evicted. But she was like, if this is what I got to do to keep you from selling drugs, this is what I'm going to do. If this is what I got to do to keep you from losing your life in the streets because you out here chasing a dope boy dream, this is what I'm going to do. Did it work? Of course. So she instilled in you just like that love, attention, belonging, Hustle. all the things that a child craves. Love, man. Hustle, care, concern. To this day, it ain't a dolphin in my neighborhood that can say I sold them rocks. Mm. That's, 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 and that's something I brag about. I brag about that. Yes. While all my homeboys brag about how they sold drugs and how they did all that, I brag about I ain't never sold drugs. I brag about that. I'm happy about that. Because yeah. out of 10 sisters my mom had, all of them was on drugs. Nine of them was on drugs, including my mom, including my dad, everybody. Like it wasn't, I didn't come from a neighborhood that was cool, that was an easy walk in the park. Man, a, a walk to the store, you could lose your life. A walk to the store, your innocence could be corrupted. Many of my friends went to the store for their grandmamas and never came back. They went to the store and was like, man, I could... I could give you $25 and you can give me a solid and I can make seven rocks off that big solid that you sell me. And now my dope boy career started. Off $25, I can make $70. And all I got to do is stand out here right here all night. And off this $70, I could come back and buy a quarter zip. When I go get another 150, a lot of my folks lost their innocence walking to the store. That's why it's so important for me to get back to these kids. So important for me to be here on the front line and and look out like I I'm serious about that. I'm serious about being for these kids and for these children and giving them my opportunity. Many of us didn't have. A lot of folks didn't have a mama like mine. Some of my folks' mamas never even told them that she they loved them. Yeah. They never had that. Do you have any people that you're with since childhood today? Of course. Everybody you see me with is my family. Yeah. Everybody I'm with. I see your cousin. She over there, man. You need to drink this. Every, here, get this. Just everybody. You to make sure you finish drinking. Everybody you see yeah. me with. My mama, sister, sons. That's my mama, sister, son, son. You know, everybody you with. Everybody you see me with. It's all my family. When did the music come into play? Like around what time? I think Chauncey took me in the studio. I was 13 years old. Were you writing music? Huh? The lyrics? You were writing music already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nah, I wasn't writing lyrics. I just was freestyling and rapping on the playground. Okay. He, he hit a nerve with me. He, he really hit a nerve. I, I came from the DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services. Yeah. And we had did a previous interview where a dude 
my big brother, the dude that took, I was running around homeless. Dude took me in off the streets as a homeless kid and been over 20 years since I've ever asked this man this because I've been in prison all the time. And I finally asked him, like, why would you go and take a kid that you don't know, just run around the streets of Compton and take him into your home, feed him, clothe him and all this? He said, everybody needs a family. You know what I'm saying? And then now the same program that taught us, that brought us together, I go inside juvenile hall and work with at-risk youth. You know what I'm saying? Kids that very, very from, they can have murder all the way down to robbery. And I go and you see them. They so eager to just Be a get, part stuff, of get, get in their brain and, and learn something. And then all the way to meeting the young dudes from Oakland. So I went through the wide thing and all that. And it's, it's, it's very different. You could tell that they battle tested. You could tell that it's, it's shit been hard. You know what I'm saying? I met over 100 dudes from Oakland. You're going to run into everybody in the pen. Each young dude I ran into from my generation, you tell them to lift up their shirt, they got a bullet hole in. You know what I'm saying? Where they be one shot all the way up to the left, each young dude, I'm like, damn, like, what's, what's, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? It's just, and your, your ripple effect that you done cast out. We, I'm reaping the residuals, he reaping the residuals, all the people you around, they reaping the residuals of what your mom and greater than you. You know what I'm saying? When I was young, I used to be jealous of the dudes that had a mom and daddy. Like, man, you got everything. Why are you acting like that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's going on? Now, as I've grown older and got educated, I don't envy that. You know, I respect it. I love it. I use it as motivation. Like, all right, man, what you complaining for? Because if he did it and she did it and all them doing it, it's a success. All right. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, you yeah. really just embody. You put it together, man. You know, the hero and the villain is the same person. They just respond to what they went through differently. The hero say, I ain't going to never let nobody go through what I went through. And I'm going to go out and go try to help everybody else that I see struggling on the precipice of what I went through. The villain say, I don't care about nobody. And I'm going to make everybody feel what I went through. And you're going to feel the same pain that I felt. Uh, yeah, I've been both of those. And that's the journey. But the hero and the villain are the same person. We just recently linked in with the Department of Justice and we're building a studio and running a music program in the juvenile hall systems out here. I linked in with the president and uh, that's set to launch in September. Um, I'm running the program where we're gonna be doing internships and uh, a program for children that are incarcerated, but helping them become engineers, writers, rappers, just curating their talent and cultivating it and the stipends that the government, the city, you know, officials will be given will help provide life for them once they get out. A good, nice little check to do what they want to do if they finish the program. So it's all about just creating these ideas, man, and implementing them. And then I'm a firm believer in alignment. When you're on your proper path in life, you will be aligned. Things will fall in place. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll, but you have to be on your path. You have to be on that path and then things will fall in line. People say it's God's timing. People say God. People say whatever it is, faith, fortune, whatever it may be. But the alignment, you know, the alignment is you may be on your path and you may be fine. You may run into someone who's like, listen, I did a lot of stuff in my lifetime, man. Now I want to help out. Or I've been having money my whole life and I never did nothing and I want to do something before I check up out of here. You start running in and start, it, things like that happen. Random things. I always tell him, you know what I'm saying? Got to get it right because we're going to borrow time. For real. 
for real. And when you continue to do like just the next right thing, doors open up. They open, bro. Yeah, yeah. And it lets you know this is what I was supposed to be doing. Reassuring. This is what I was supposed to be doing. You know, in etymology, etymology, it teaches you the words. Etymology is like the study of words and you know roots and words, and you begin to realize that words too are related, like cousins. And certain words that look like each other, it's a high probability that they have the same meaning. So when you look at a word like religion and you look at a word like realignment, kind of looks like the same. <laughs> and the whole sole purpose of religion is to realign. <laughs> and as you realign, oh, yeah, I see the connection. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, With that connection, yeah. right. that realignment. Some people just get caught in the religious part of it whether it's for goodness or corruption. It's a double-edged sword. But the main thing is to extract something that helps you realign with your purpose. Yeah, people like go there for different reasons. Like right. I, I go there to center, to, to like, you know, remember my path and my right. alignment, yeah. Your alignment. And, when, and now once you're realigned and you're focused on your path, then the trajectory is clear because now you can see where you're going. Many of us are born blind with perfect eyesight. Was that like, like a lack of discernment? We, just, we don't know where we're going. Yeah, yeah. We don't see, we can't, we don't know what's coming from us. There's no planned trajectory in the areas that we come from. Because like I say, some of us don't have those caring mothers. Some of us don't have those dedicated fathers. Many people would have been sports stars if their daddies would have came to their games. I had a homeboy could have went to the league. Nigga quit his senior year talking about blood. Don't nobody support me. Damn. My mama ain't never came to one of my games. It's crazy. I seen him on the internet about three, four months ago, and he was just ranting, going through what he was going through, and he was just spazzing out on his mom. And I hit him. I say no disrespect to what you got going on. But as a man that has lost his mom. That hits, yeah. And as a friend, you on sucker shit. He's like, what you talking about? Look. Real friend I say, bro, you airing out your childhood trauma to the world because you haven't healed from your mama going through what she was going through, trying to raise you. You up here talking about, man, you, you ain't never came to my games. You ain't never supported me. You put a man before me. Brother, that's trauma that you going through. And instead of having a conversation with your mother, you letting the world know that you hurt. From a psychological point of view, it looks like you hurt. Hmm. And a therapeutic point of view is you crying out for attention. But you don't have the ball and the audacity to admit that. Hmm. So this is your way of doing it. That's a coward. And always like the loudest people are the hurting most. So he took it down. He took it down. Called his mom. Now they on good terms. Hmm. Before we get to the music. Nah. Recently, when it did you know, a little gang intervention stuff, I don't go on, you know, scared, scared or none of that. I just right. go, look, I walk like you, I look like you, and I talk like you. All I can do is let you know, do you know where this life is going to lead? Right. You know, so one of my kids hit me up, he called me, man, one of my cousins, he want to get put on the gang. I'm like, all right, man, can you go over there? Inglewood to go holler. I'm like, go over there. Get in the house, the whole family in there. Grandma, dad, older brother, all this. And I was like, man, do you know what your cousin went through with this. You know what your family, your relatives went through in this. 
and get him on the phone. Tell him. Tell him what's with this life. Right. Tell him. I'll ask him, you ready to kill somebody? Because that's what comes with this life. You ready to do this? Are you ready to get into it with your family behind one of your relatives if they tell on you? Because they can tell on you because they're a civilian. You will no longer be a civilian. You under something else. And it hurt my soul so bad to be talking to this kid. And you see it all just unfolding right there. You see it. And you're like, look, your own family is letting you know. They, they already in jail. You got all these things. Your dad letting you know. For them to just be like, fuck you and everything you're talking about. And I felt like I failed in that moment. Because it's like, damn, he out here in the streets. How do you feel when you, because you got so much to give to him. How do you feel when they turn it away? Like, man, I don't care what you're talking about. You got to understand the magnetic and gravitational force that gang has. Mm. Gang is the only place where they feel like they can be themselves. Gang is the only organization that's not going to judge them. Gang is the only organization where they feel like when they look up, they see somebody that's going through the same thing that they're going through. This is their only place of acceptance. This is their only place of opportunity where they feel like this is the life for me. Gang had more influence than moms and pops. It's there. I can reach out and touch it. I'm touching it. This brother, I'm lonely. I went through some stuff. Nobody understand my pain. Brother do, though. And that's a cold comparison and contrast that you just delivered because everybody thinks that, you know, people outside L.A. don't feel this, don't go through this. Nah, man, man you know, the this, whole world is gang now, man. Oakland never had Bloods and Crips ever. But in 2023, Oakland got the most gangs it's ever been. I spoke to a dude when I was in the shoe. Not to turn off. Spoke to a dude that was in the shoe. He went through the Y. He's from Oakland. Real, real dude. He he started one of the biggest gangs that's out here. And I'm talking to him like, Big bro, what made you go to Oakland and start a gang? And he said, Man, my mom is from a gang out of LA. I went to YA. And went through all that in there and seen the game. So he seen it, he felt it, and he was down south, so he was outnumbered. So in his head, he said, I seen that, I seen what was going on with it, I wanted one for myself. So the dudes from my part of town, we got something to have. We got the groups and we got the numbers. And I said, damn, like that's Yeah, that's what it is, man. You know, the the misuse of power, influence. You know, Stan Lee said that Magneto and Professor X was Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Damn, Stan, I didn't know Stan Lee said that. He, serious? He wrote that. And T'Challa was Huey Newton. Those were, the X-Men were political characters. Stan Lee was like, I broke these characters off that. <laughs> Little Spielberg over here in the green. This is just, <laughs> that's true. Like, and, he, and he wrote those characters oh. off that. And... The hero, the hero and the villain concept, but corruption of power and misuses of power are the same thing. There are many people that have great influence and they've used it for wrongdoing. It was never their intentions of the Black Panthers to be perceived as a gang. They were helping the community. They were feeding, they were teaching, they were protecting, they were patrolling, and they were setting an example of what a proper educational system in a unit could be. 
unfortunately, somewhere along that line, which, once again, before we deal with the secondary, we must address the primary, they became a threat. In that threat, J. Edgar Hoover said, there must be something done to throw off what's building in there, what's thriving there, what can we create to destroy the central level of intelligence. Hence the COINTELPRO. Not only COINTELPRO, crack cocaine. Crack cocaine, crack cocaine. The implosion of crack cocaine was flooded in all the communities that were highly populated with Black Panther chapters. If you look at all the communities that first received crack cocaine, they all had one thing in common. They had heavy Black Panther chapters. Oakland, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Detroit, New York. And when the crack hit, did it hit L.A. and Oakland like same time? All these areas? Simultaneously. And then I'm thinking That's about... Crazy. Crack hit here. I remember when crack hit Los Angeles. Crack hit here. And cats from L.A. began to see what it was. Because like, it was still cocaine and heroin. But when Oakland started rocking it up. The recipe came from Oakland. And they was like, oh... That's a crazy thing. And that's when it started, went, it went crazy. But it was a social engineer project. For sure. Did you look at to be able to say, let me destroy the central unit of intelligence of black socialism. If I can destroy that, then there will be no Black Panthers. I'll get them all hooked. I'll get them all on drugs. Then it became a problem when outside communities were affected. I wonder if that was the plan for it to like ripple out. Of course that was the Definitely. plan. That's, it's, it's documented. Yeah. It's just like it's documented that the government said that they had something to do with Malcolm X being murdered. It's documented they said they've paid Martin Luther King's family. Malcolm X's daughter is running. She's suing the uh, federal bureau. No, because they just admitted the, the, one of the officers when he, he died, he was an informant and uh, an officer. And his dying wish was when he died to open up his will, like open up one of the letters. And in that letter, he talked about the involvement of the assassination of, Martin Luther, uh, of Malcolm X, how the government was involved in it. It went public like last year, a year ago, about their involvement and the government's involvement and how it was a plot to blame the nation as if it was their fault. It's a lot of things like that, man. You know, you yeah. can never... You can never doubt the evilness that someone is willing to do. But that's corruption of power right. and the misuses of your power. In Watts, they say it's, it's written in the book, the book, um, um, Empower the People. Empower the People, they have The Do or Die, that was one of the books that Monster Cody had written. And then they talk about the origins of certain, you know, things that happen. They say the, the influence. Like for instance, neighborhood that I'm from, and how throughout time things change, even the definition of words and where things came from. And um, a dude asked me, "OG dude, I said, where you from?" You know, he's asking me, he's testing me. And um, this is a long time that I read. I met Rochelle McGee. Rochelle McGee, the longest political held prisoner in the United States, is from the Bay Area. He's been in jail for thirty-eight some thirty-eight some years. They will not let him out. And Political prisoner. He's already did his time for the crime. You've been in jail for 30-some years for some other stuff. And um, 
he asked me where I'm, where I'm from, and I told him, I was like, man, I'm from Peru. He said, what does that mean? So I told him, pimps in red uniforms, that's what it means. And he looked at me, he was like, that's what you think all this means, that you a pimp in a red uniform? And he gets read these books, read these books, book report, book report. But I really didn't understand and learn what a black man was until I went to prison. Coldest thing ever. I didn't know any none of this stuff that I know now until I went there. And he said, it means powerful intellectual radical units of soldiers. Brims, Black Revolution, Independent Mafias, Crip, Community Revolution and Progress. And he said, the intention of the Panthers was there. But down the line, when you have a 16-year-old boy who's racking in millions at the end of the month selling crack, yeah. all that intention go out the window. This money and my family up out here winning is the ultimate goal at the end of the day. So it was just, it lost its way. For sure, as we all do. And a community under siege by like just, you know, the crack that's being introduced, you know, the situation with the cops, like you're trying to survive the moment. Like, and you gotta understand them dudes was young. Yeah. Huey Newton, 20, 30, 23 years old, 24 years old. He died at 38. I think he's like 39 when he died. 39, and within that time period, he became a lawyer, he was already a doctor. Yeah, he was already a doctor as well? Dr. Huey Newton. Dr. Huey Newton. Wow. He had his doctor. Yeah. You know Dr. Huey P. Newton. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Got his doctor from uh, Santa Clara. Was it Santa Clara or Santa Cruz? One of them. Um, this was a young dude, man. It's like Pac, bro. Pac was 25 years old. Yeah, it's hard. Like, you know what I'm saying? You, you got all this power and influence. Bro, that'll drive you crazy. Malcolm died 38, 39. Martin died 38, 39. Imagine if these dudes got a chance to live a little bit longer to really learn their power. In the Quran, it says that you don't really thoroughly become a man until you're 40. So imagine that. So you know what I'm saying? So... In the infancy stages of they fight, your intentions are always well. But if you wasn't groomed for the positions that you ascend to, it's a turbulent road. And most pilots can't fly through that turbulence. But were you? It don't seem like you were coming up from where you came out. I was groomed. Yeah. My mama saw all the dope you could think of. My mama was a real gangster who really came from the game. So is, is that your mom on the album cover? Yeah. Son of a pimp? Part <laughs> two, my mom and my dad on the first one. I really come from the game. Like my mom really from the game. My daddy was really in the game. So I was groomed. I wasn't a kid who read about it in a notebook or read about it or seen somebody else doing it and went, no, I got it firsthand. Kitchen table education. I got it right there from the yeah. cradle. Yeah. In my cradle, I seen game cable. This is what the game is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got it early. I got it honest. But a lot of kids, when they have that at that young age, they squander that, you know? Because your teachers, man, your, if your teachers ain't, sometimes your teachers will show you something be like, this is for you. And you looking at it like, oh yeah, this is for me. But then your teachers will show you, 
They only give you one aspect of the game or one angle of it. My mama showed me all the angles of the game. And within that, your heart wasn't broken. You, you, you <laughs> picked the game. He got a dude that made the right decision. He got a baller. He got an ex-drug dealer. He got a dude that used to, he used to pimp. He got a prostitute. He got a stripper. He got, he got a hustler. Did she have any like specific dream for you? Like, or did she, she push you in a specific direction? It was my dream. She just wanted success. She what do you want to do? Yeah, yeah. And whatever you want to do, I'm going to push that. She poured into me. Whatever I wanted to do, she supported. If I said, Mom, I want to be an astronaut, she'd say, all right, well, let's go to NASA. Yeah, yeah, dang. That's right. I want to go to play basketball. Well, hun, I'm going to go do everything in the basketball. I had something that a lot of people in my apartment building didn't have. They didn't have that support from the person that they love the most. I mean, we want to go around and ask every young dude I've seen now. What, yeah. Matter of fact, what, what you want to be, little bro? <laughs> you can always go back to the director spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a winning choice right there. Yeah, so just having somebody to pour into you, man. That's why I know they're important. That's why I pour into the children in my community. All the kids. Do you feel convicted to do it like you have to? You're Not convicted. You, obligated. You? Yeah. Obligated. Yeah. I hear you. Because I know how it is. I know what it's like. You see them. You got to be able to see somebody beyond what they got on, beyond what they, you got to be able to, that observation skill, it's actually a gift. You can look at somebody and be like, see what you want. Yeah. Jay-Z said in the interview, he said, I, I was out one night and this dude seen me and I looked at him and he just frowned up. He was like, he just started looking crazy at me for no reason. And he was like, I knew what it was. He thought I saw him. And the, interview, the interviewer was like, what do you mean? He was like, the dude thought I saw who he was hiding. Sitting there in all that pain. You know what I'm saying? Her. He said he thought I saw him. So I went up to him, I was like, hey, man. He was like, and all of that broke. Damn. That whole don't it come broke. up to me. Yeah. That's, the, that's where that, that instinct of the intellect comes Yeah. From. You got to learn how to do things. You know, it's the difference between responding and reacting. Hmm. Yeah. A reaction is. Impulse. A response is something that's thought. Yeah. No thought given to it. No consideration. You just impulsively act. That's a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. We have to teach our children how to think, not what to think. Mm. Dropping gems. Hey, and it's crazy because in order for me as a lifer to go home, I had to go through the pro board and I had to do like these self-help therapy where you learn it, you know, introspection and like emotional intelligence. Like you're, you could get granted parole. Like, where do you have that? I mean, Apple said he has a lot of introspection, but where do you get that from? Because, um, like, this is therapy talk. You're, a lot of people are not able to connect, like, these emotions or what people are going through or to recognize that situation. EI. We live in the times where our biggest battle was going to be AI versus EI. Bruh, we've been... Yeah. For that's, the past few days, especially with this young man right here. Yeah, that's, that's been oh, our conversation for the last yeah. two days. Man, we went to the, the ghost kitchen in Frisco. Mm -hmm. 
Man, we must have blew our cooker up in there, man. Up in there just yeah, you order it and like, it comes through a box. Mm -hmm. Robots, like no human interaction. No, no, that's your, that's gonna be your biggest battle. But they put it in movies, in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Terminator. Yeah. Coming out of prison. AI. Like the most hurtful, like to. Total Recall. Yeah, to, that's, I was trying to think of Total Recall. Total Recall is nothing but Elon Musk. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. You get all this knowledge in there. <laughs> you look at it like we, they put it in movies. Chat Two weeks ago, team. Vegas UFO crashes. Yeah, I seen that. They erase all the footage. They do all the stuff. It's Men in Black. What do you think that was? That that was, was a big what conversation in my house. <laughs> Is that yeah. what, it, what you thought? It you was what it was, but they won't allow it to go public like that. Why? Just like they said in the movie. He said every other day it's an Archelian battleship about to attack Earth. Yeah. You think we gonna let the public know that? Brother, if you knew some of the secrets that America was hiding or yeah. the world was hiding from us, you would it'll drive you crazy. Yeah, I'm glad I don't. You glad you don't know that? So you'd be yeah. like, what? Yeah. yeah. It's one place on Earth that every country in the world has signed a treaty about. Panama Canal. Hell no. Antarctica. Every country is in agreement that there will be no flying, there will be no Arctic exploration there, nothing. Every country in the world. Every country. There's a treaty that every country in the world has signed. That is no exploration over there. It is rumored that this mythical place called Agartha is in Antarctica. Now, whether it's rumors, whether it's whatever it is, one thing that we know for sure, they ain't letting nobody go see it. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to I'm taking it all in. But as I'm listening to you, I, my peripheral, I see my boy over here just shaking his head. Like, you familiar with it? Yeah. Are you familiar with? Yeah. yeah. So this is like, it's just stuff that's like, you know what I'm saying? It's information, man. This is certain stuff you just don't want to know. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Going sure. into the, the, the music stage, did you have to feel like you had to dummy your delivery down? Because certain stuff ain't for everybody. Like you say, if, if you only knew, you know, even in Hadith, they got Hadith for dudes, brothers that say they want to be the emails. And it says in there, if only you knew what came with this responsibility, you wouldn't want no parts with it. Stop being so eager to jump into this. So with your music, I know you want to educate the masses. You want to drop them gems. Even with this, this, this might be too much for people. They're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting deep. <laughs> Did you feel the need to dummy down going into it with, with your music? Of course. Because I heard the stuff with you and Kendrick. We, we played that about a good 10 times flying up this joint. Of course. You have to mince the meat. Can't feed a baby I have to get your attention so I could give you what I really want to give you. Mm. I have to be able to, you know, a smart man can play dumb, but a dumb man can't play smart. He'll be exposed. Your wit will be challenged. A smart man can play dumb all day, though. So with the music, like Hov say, lyrically, I'd be a Talib Kweli. I ain't been rhyming like common sense. Yeah, I did five mil, yeah. When you said that, that was a line that came to mind. Like, you know what was I mean? that, is that Was that like your strategy when you were writing? Yeah, it was like, I'm not, the way that I would want to rap, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be accepted like that. I had to create something to get their attention. I had to do something to be able to say, okay, now that I got your attention, this is what I'm going to give you.
in such an artistic form. Like it's because when you put yourself in position, bro, like I was that kid that was like, bro, I don't want to hear that shit, bro. What is you talking about, bro? Nobody care about that. Like I was self-educated. And I was self-educated to the point where I challenged all my teachers. I would, it would be times that they'd be so mad at me. Yeah, yeah. But I had to learn how to process information. Yeah, that was your way of learning, questioning, challenging. Because yeah. my mother taught me how to think. Don't be a blind father. She didn't teach me what to think. She taught me how to think. Me and my daughter have conversations that's like, you would be like, wow, she's 14. Like, my daughter is like so far ahead with her conversation because I allow her to have the space to be combative. Yeah, that's a good thing. To, it's a great thing. Yeah. I remember Pac said, like, with his mom, he said, sometimes my mom would be my drill sergeant. She'll be my crimey. She'd be my best friend. You know, she'll be my mom. You know, you have to have that level of open lines of communication. I'm not just going to say, do this, why? Because I said so. Well, that's not a good enough reason. It's, That'll make sense. Yeah, yeah. Cold little, like, you know, uh, why are you upset? You ain't old enough. You ain't grown enough to be upset. That's like a lazy, that's sort of like a lazy way of parenting. Yeah. yeah. And so, like my son, my son can read already at two word recognition. Read over like 200, 300 words at two years old. Yeah. My daughter is like number one in her class. Straight A's, high school, visiting Columbia this summer, MIT. Like education is big to me. George, George Washington Carver and Booker T. Washington always had debates. One was finance, one was education. It took those brothers to get to the latter years of their life to realize that they was fighting the same war. That if they would have conflated their theories, they would have pushed black people so much further. But they were pushing back because now you had the uppy educated Negro and W.B. Du Bois who felt like he was better than everyone else because he was educated. He went to Dillard. This was a prestigious school still to this day that no black men were going to. He was very educated and he felt like since he was so educated that made him elite. And the black elite became just as bad as the suppressive southerners yeah. The racist Southerners, yeah. they were on the same thing. Then you had brothers that were saying, we need to get financial freedom. And they say, no, we need to get education. So now that we have a clean slate, we can go after both. Because we can be educated and we can be financially emancipated. Take both those debates down. And, put and now we could take yeah. both of them. Yeah. Instead of combating each other with it, I could teach you finance. I could teach you education because knowledge without application is just information. Yeah. So you could read every book in here, but if you ain't getting no money, nobody give a fuck about that. Facts. We living in these yeah. times where kids say, man, you educated as hell. You hella smart. Cause you nothing with it. What you doing with it though? Yeah, yeah, I could sit up here and I could preach all day, but if I'm not doing something to show somebody how to get some money or to put money back into my community or put up my own money, None of this came from loans. None of this came from grants. None of this. I could take you through all my businesses. None of this came through no loans, no grants, no private investors, no none of that. 
this all hard work that I didn't did out the mud. But someone seeing me put up my own money, put up my own hard work, my own grind, they'll say, I want to help you. Yeah, because there's such a sense of like self-belief. And, you know. If you're willing to do all that, with what you, money, no money. My mom used to always tell me that, money, no money. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. You can wear all the jewelry you want, you can do all that shit, but money, no money. Money, no, somebody with money know when somebody got money. And then when 50 said, 50 said, if I see a dude, what he said, I see a guy walk in with all his life savings on. Yeah. He said, son, he said, I know that dude broke. He That's all you shit. got. Right. Money, no money. You can't talk money with somebody that know, that got money. Like you said, you were talking about languages earlier. It's languages. They yeah, like, I know yeah. money. You ain't having no money. You got a couple of dollars. You don't have no money. I know real life billionaires. We never talk about money. Like sometimes people I could call on the phone right now and that's really like bank account like billions, worth like billions. Tech friends and hella shit. We never talk about money, no nothing that. But one thing they love is that ambition and that work ethic. And when they see you doing that, they like, I got a caboose for you. And that's how partnerships happen. That's how a person can say, I did all this work and now I met, I met the plug in the streets. Somebody seeing you grind and hustling. They're like, youngster, what you be doing all day, man? That's your block over there? Like, yeah, man, it's my block, man. I run this block, me and my homeboys. Them all your homies? They getting stuff from you? What y'all moving today? Shit, man, we moving a couple peas, or we moving, you know, man, thing or two, for real. I got something for you, man. You think you can handle it? Like what? I'll give you 10 bricks. How long do you think it'll take you to move? You'd be like, 10 bricks? You either gonna say a number and what time it's gonna take you to move it, or you're gonna say, oh shit, I ain't ready for 10 bricks. Then he gonna walk away, because he's gonna be like, oh, you you just was, it just looked good. You just looked like you was hustling hard, but you really wasn't hustling hard. Then you'll meet that person, these people, and it comes back to what we was talking about, alignment. Being prepared to meet the moment. Prepared to meet yeah. that moment when somebody say, I got a million dollars for you, what you wanna do with it? They'll be like, uh. You get stuck and they're gonna move oh, you on. ain't ready for it. Damn. You missed your opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Nothing is worse in life than a blown opportunity. <laughs> you waited your whole life for that moment and you blew it? That's crazy. You may have to wait a long time to get it again, or you may not ever get it again. Yeah. So the preparation that it takes to get to these moments is sheer dedication, hard work, development, growth, and you must learn in all fields of life. Recognition, observation, adaptation, all of these things. So you can say, when it do come, now you're ready. Let's get it rolling. Where do relationships rank in that list you were giving? Ah, it has to be on your top goal. Yeah. You're nothing without relationships. Yeah. Read that in uh, Napoleon Hill. Think, think rich or go think grow rich. Yeah. About the, uh, the mastermind. Yeah. You said get your group of people, your mastermind group, Ooh. and within this group, try your damn hardest to never have a conflict with anybody in your group to keep the pureness of what y'all drive. Your pureness. You know what I'm saying. World War I and World War II. World War II, Germans almost won the war. If America didn't have allies, they would have lost. That's true. <laughs> yeah. 
People always wonder why America always runs to France aid. France, for one, has one of the greatest aerial assaults. And then they're over there. Strategically placed. I'm strategically placed. So if anything pop off over here, we got our, we got our healers. They're coming from the sky. So it's about allies. Same with South Korea. Yeah, yeah. We got allies. French, uh, the, the creator of the F-35, matter of fact, yeah. It was, so we have yeah, that's, allies. That's a good, yeah. That's a good analogy. America, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, they didn't want no smoke with Cuba because Cuba was backed by Russia. And Che was yelling, push the button. You know? And he was like, nigga. Yeah, yeah. Not Che. Che is Argentina. Yeah. Cuba, Fidel Castro. But he was at his side at the but time. But they was all at, yeah. all at, all these, they were all allies. Yeah, yeah. They were communist countries. Yep. But communism, America has been taught to look at it as a bad thing. But in actuality, it's an equal opportunity. When I went to Cuba, I was like, yo, this is crazy. Cuba is like one of the greatest countries in the world. I know. That's like one of my dream spots to go. It's amazing. But it was like America didn't want no smoke because it's 90 miles off the coast. We got missiles aimed at y'all. Stop playing with us. And they say if a war uh, were to erupt, 90% of the Cuban population immediately become soldiers. Oh, they activated. They yeah. activated. Yeah. I don't they know like, about now, but I know back then. They like, bro, we ready, bro. Yeah. We activation mode. Free everything. Free education. If you want to go to school to be a veterinarian your whole life, that's what you do. They'll pay for it. Everything. Everything is equal opportunity. There's no monopolies. One man can't own hella property, no none of that. It's an equal opportunity. Everybody. That's why a lot of people left because they was like, oh, damn, man, we, it's rule here, structure here. Yeah. Cuba is your grandparents' house. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's ceilings there of how far you can. It's your grandparents' house. You're going to respect something over here. Right. Sit on the plastic part of the couch. Take your hat off yeah, when you yeah, walk yeah. in here. Leave your shoes by the stairs. Yeah. Ain't no cussing in my house. Ain't woo, woo. It's structure. We lost our structure. Yeah. There's no infrastructure. Yeah, nobody likes that here. There's no structure. You got to get back to having some structure. Got to have some forms of understanding through communication and through an infrastructure that pushes an agenda. And you have to have strange allies, uncommon collaborations, like what y'all got going yeah. on. Right. Yeah, we embody that. Like, Person be like, hold on, who the white boy with the what they got going on? Yeah, yeah. On the yard, this is impossible, especially level four where it's rocking. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you with the wood? What you on? Hold on. My brother been in jail 27 years. People don't realize that your family served time with you too. So you have to have them unimaginable collaborations. Where a person look up and be like, how y'all know each other? And the crazy part is, yeah, it, surface wise, it may seem so different, but when you get shit. down and know somebody, like, damn. You know, in politics, there's no permanent enemies and no permanent allies? 100%. Yeah, I get that. You look for common ground for the common good of whatever cause y'all got in common. There's no permanent enemies or permanent allies. I may hate you. I may not like your politics. I might not like your religious beliefs. I may not like anything that you do. I might not like your sexual preference. I may not like whatever it is that you have going on. But we find common ground for this common cause. And in that, we pour into that. 
And those unusual collaborations are what changes the world. Somebody look back and be like, blood, how the hell, how the hell did Diddy get the war? Or Diddy knew the dude that owned the vodka. He had the influence to tell the world that it was his vodka, but it wasn't. He made a small percentage off of it. The vodka company won. Diddy thrived. They were able to do business. Unusual collaboration. I'm still surprised with, with uh, what's that, uh, Akon and Gaga. How are you? It's just unusual collaborations. Like, you know what I'm saying? Jay-Z owned one point something percent of the Nets, but it was enough to tell the world that I own the Nets. It was also enough to petition to get the Nets to come to Brooklyn, his hometown. Off 1%. Off 1%. His influence was that strong. He was able to sell his percentage for millions of dollars, more than what he invested. He was able to maintain a store inside of that arena, create jobs inside of his home city, and leave that to go into starting a sports franchise, Rock Nation Sports. Yeah, yeah. Because it was a conflict of interest with him being an owner of a team and running a sports agency. He couldn't be in the locker rooms and all that. Have you ever met home? Of course. What's, what's his, like, I love know, you know, they have the, the, the thing out there that it was a meme going around, you know, weird-ass Charleston White. Would you rather take the money or, or meet with Hope? Meet with Hope. Would you, if you didn't have any of this, would you rather took the money or sit down with Hope? I'd take the money. You know, to do. So it's, <laughs> the reason why is because... Even Hope would tell you, you had a conversation with me about lucrative possibilities, about opulent avenues, and you chose to have this conversation with me instead of going to go get the opulent avenue. There's nothing that I can tell you that can go get you that money tomorrow. What I might tell you might take you 10, 15 years to get. And that 10, 15 years, if you properly use this money, me and you'll be doing business anyway. Damn. What's that called? A uh, reference to you? Coulda? Coulda. Like, you know what I'm saying? Finna do. Yeah, finna, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not finna, finna do. You know what I'm saying? I'm not finna pass up on that opportunity. I'm going to take this. I'm going to put myself in position and we'll do business one day. You know? I met Hove and he was like, man, I know who you are. It's good enough for me. I love Hove. I got pictures of Hove all around. Yeah, he's, that's, yeah. He's, here he's like one of my favorite rappers. At the house. I just love what Hove represents. You got to, you got to, you got to, uh, a taste for art. Oh, yeah, man. I love art, man. This is very uh, narcissistic, though. Some of this uh, narcissistic. Yeah, the, uh, the crown. A lot of this stuff. Some, <laughs> yeah. But this is fanfare art. A lot of people come yeah. bring me art and stuff Ain't like no that. no different from an Instagram page. We yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got to love you. The Snoop Dogg, we created artwork. That's the portrait. That's awesome. That's dope. Yes. Snoop did an in-store here, man. It's, a fan brought that for him. Came out and did an in-store, super dope, man. When we was uh, when we opened up this location, Snoop came in and it was super dope. So what was what was your first? I will want to ask like, man, do you remember your first sixteen bars? I don't remember my sixteen bars from yesterday. What <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what was your first major song that shook? Oh, that shook the back. That first one where it's like. You heard yourself. It was that, that moment. Like, super sick the, with it. The, temp, the heart grease and the temptations when they was in their sleep and they heard the music. They're like, oh, you're on the radio. Super sick with it. Super sick with it. It's a Me Turf talking E40. It kind of shaped the way that music was being made at the time. Right. Uh, sonically. E40 son did the beat, Droopy. It was a weird collaboration because at that time, 
the boat, the labels that we were on weren't seeing eye to eye. Um, Thiz and Sick With It. You would have never saw those two people collab. It was like, it was like imagine in the height of the East Coast, West Coast beef, Bad Boy and Death Row doing a song together. Yeah. None, it wasn't to that level of, but if you knew, you knew. If you knew the underlies before you, like, you knew. Yeah, yeah. Um, regardless if anyone will admit it or not. So it was an unusual collaboration. What was some of your best collabs? That's relative. Because it's all about perspective. Just Something person. that might have been best to me may have been mediocre to someone else. Yeah. Well, some of my favorite. So, yes, some of the ones that pop up. Life of the Party with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, that was hard. I love that record just based off the energy that it created. And you go everywhere with your music. It's not just, you got, you got conscious. Yeah, I do all kind of stuff. You got the slaps, you got, you touching everything. You got, all right, we want to hit, then we gonna, we gonna hit, you know. You got something for the ladies. My music is a reflection of Oakland. That ratchet too? I do everything. Like, Oakland, in a microcosm, Oakland does everything. You could catch somebody from Oakland and you'd be like, you'll see somebody from Oakland anywhere. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if when, you know, we die, somebody at the gate in heaven from Oakland. Yeah, yeah. He's like, bro, I'm, I don't know if you can get up in here, bro. How many you with? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oakland is crazy like that, bro. But it's the land of just all multifaceted people. It's you, people do all kind of stuff. And my music is a reflection of that. It's political. It's it's It's... Poetic, it's preachy, it's hyphy, it's radical, it's revolutionary, it's obsolete, it's it's everything, bro. It's it's, it's you know, it has it's glossy, crazy aesthetics, it's manicured, it's wild, it's unclipped, it's it's all of that. I remember when I was a teenager, I had my Richie Rich tape. That's the only thing I used to bump. Richie Rich for like a year straight. R. Yeah. That was so hard, that seasoned veteran. Man, but it's, it's all of that, bro. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's all of that. That's why Pac was so fascinated with Oakland. He used to always come down here, yeah. He went yeah. to everywhere, you know? Pac was from everywhere. But you don't know nothing about no time, man. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You don't know nothing about no time, man. You feel me? Influenced by crime. Come on. 16 on death row was... Like, Pac was so Oakland influenced, because when he got here, for you got to think he was already influenced because his mom was influenced by the Panthers. Right. Way on the East Coast. And so... He had already had a love from the origin of his mother's influence, the Panthers. Right. So when he got here, he got a chance to be in the epicenter of where it's at. And then Marin influenced him a lot. That's so he's like, oh, shit, I'm right here. So when you in Marin, like going to Oakland is still a journey. You're like, we finna go to Oakland? Right. Oh, shit, this is crazy. So now you're going to Oakland. Now you just, you flooded with this culture. You flooded yeah, with yeah. this this Seriously. game and all the, right. you see the players, you see the cars, you yeah, see niggas yeah. hopping out, hey, what's happening? Well, you like, oh, the light, like you you fall in love instantly. You're like, yo, this is crazy. Right. Yeah. Like this shit, you Oakland niggas is crazy. And then it's like, you start feeling, you start, like this ain't no way this the same place that created Huey, that created MC Hammer, that created Too Short, that created Lil D, that created Felix that, Mitchell. Bounce to it. it's, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's something different. And now you just look at it and you're like, damn. And that's what Oakland represent, man. Yeah, no, I, like 
we were talking about it the way up, like you feel it, like just the history. I've, I've seen it from a distance through the music, through videos and TV. So just to come here, yeah. Your mm. mind automatically creates a history. Yeah. If you went and look, if you know about the Panthers, you know about Asada Shakur and that, that. Because I thought Asada Shakur was Tupac's mama, just because she had a secure last name. And then Speaking of Cuba. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I went red. I'm like, all right. Then I look at uh, Elvis Cleaver and I'm looking at Bobby Seale. Then I'm looking, I'm looking, I, PBS bless the shit out dudes in prison. You learn a lot of shit. Yeah, for sure. PBS. I looked at all the documentaries on the Panthers. And I'm gonna debate it about some dudes. I'm like, right. Where the dudes at? And then you sitting there, and then you learn about the underlying story of the not so shiny glimpse. You know what I'm saying? The stuff that was going on in the penthouse up top, and his, you know, the brother downfall. What he had going on? We we're not flawless. He's still a human. Right. You know. And I I seen it. It's like. We passed by a seminary. I'm like, you don't know what that is? Seminary is filthy, you know? It's funk and die, man. I'm talking all this. Like, right. I know who this is. Like, right. y'all got to get y'all some bay friends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. And, the, and that's why I said that, that prison thing was a gift and a curse. Because I was able to get around, you know, my people. You know what I'm saying? In a whole other aspect. And y'all out here, who y'all are, it's like, Either you like us or you don't like us. But at the end of the day, police used to be complaining because they two most hated people of their life. They said, we can't stand them Bay Areas and them blood dudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they said, that's right. They don't why. give a fuck. And a, a lot of people think that Bay Areas is bloods because uh, like, like the bloods and the Bay, they always link in yeah. with each other. Like, what's up with blood? Like, yeah, that, that's, that's Bay talk. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And my next, I got a book coming out and I talk about how prison is a college for criminals. <laughs> university and it's a great nice. university because yeah. you can learn a lot of stuff. And it's just like going away from boarding school, going away from school. But I talk about it how some of the most brilliant minds are in prison. And that if they would have had somebody to cultivate their genius, they'd be running the world. When somebody one time gave me a quote, they said, it's not the four walls, but what's within the four walls that define the room. That fucking blew my mind in that moment. I, I could create, turn Anything. this into a college. I could turn this to whatever I want. Whatever it is, bro. Like my brother, I got in my bookshelf over there. My brother wrote in the past 12 months, 13 months, he's wrote 10 books. What's the name? Can we do a shout, shout him Antoine out? Cox. Antoine Cox. Check out the My book. brother, same mother, same dad. Um, he's probably one of the most intelligent humans that I've ever met. And you've been around some people. He's very intelligent. Right. But decision, man, and judgment. You know, a good decision don't make you a good person, and a bad decision don't make you a bad person. It just leaves your judgment up for question. <laughs> and behind those walls, you find several of those situations and scenarios. So true. And in these streets, you see several kids, innocents, corrupted due to their lack of good decision making. I don't believe that there's a bad child. I do believe along that child's life, there's been an adult to lead to the delinquencies of their mischievousness. And as that mischievousness grows, it goes to law breaking. And now they get conformed to criminology. That's yeah, you get indoctrinated. That's that. That's that. Yeah. That access. So you giving people 
That's what makes this unique. They get to have a personal experience with Mr. Fat. For sure. They can listen to the music, but then when people hear you speak, they're like, oh, okay, he's providing us with this. you like, man, if you want to party, I'm going to give you this. Yeah. If you want, you want to get on them conscious stuff, I'm, I'm going to give you Because you don't want to be addict. too much of one thing. Like anything too much of something will make you an addict. Like I'm too preachy now, I want to hear that shit. Right. You too party now, I want to hear that shit. How yeah. How do you balance that though? It's just life, bro. Duality. I'm very embraceive to my duality. I don't know y'all from a can of paint. I don't mind crying in front of y'all. I'm secure with who I am. Yeah. So I'll show you that side. I don't know who's going to see this. I don't know. say, oh, that man is up there was crying. Yeah, that lets yeah, you know you're human. Pretend, yeah, that, that's not a real live emotion. Life you know? hasn't desensitized yeah. him yet. Right. You know what I'm saying? Life hasn't put him in the box where he can't show that. Yeah. You know how many people are void of emotion? But then they wonder why they go crazy. Men are only able to show two emotions. Anger. Anger. Yeah. Frustration. Yeah. That's the only emotion that I was ever comfortable yeah. showing for yeah. like the 30 able years of my life. to show that because that's accepted. Now watch this, watch this twist. And that emotion that we're able to show, anger, jealousy, those are the things that lead to the reason why 90% of murders are committed by men. The emotions that we aren't able to 100%. show, vulnerability, depression, sensitivity, emotional distance, we have to keep those in. That's the reason why 85% of suicides are committed by men. So in the emotions that we're allowed to show, we kill others. And the ones that we aren't allowed to show, we kill ourselves. Yeah, we suppress it. Yeah. That's why it's imperative that we speak about emotional intelligence and we create curriculums to help us identify it, recognize it, and create solutions. I have a vault coming up next month. It's a class called Thug Therapy, teaching, healing, uniting, and guiding for men. Damn, I love that. I love <laughs> you write that. Down. I love that. That's a, you redefine it just like pop redefined. So we create that. So now we have a seminar where we all in there talking. I'm bringing out three of the top psychiatrists in California. And I'm going to partner with Alameda County in the mental health unit to be able to see if they can provide not only finance, but give us access to be able to dig into some of the medical records of those that need it the most. But it starts off while we create it. And now we invite people out to say, what you going through? Let's talk. Let's talk about it. Just men. People are like, man, you need some women in there. No, we're going to have men. Yeah, we're healing. Because we need these healing spaces for ourselves. That's why a man got a man cave. We need our spaces. Our women need their spaces. You can't talk to a child, a psychiatrist, and get a man to go talk to this little woman when this little girl been raped by men. She don't trust men. You can't ask this man to open up about what's going on when women has always ostracized him. He's never had a woman in his life that have ever loved him unconditionally. He won't be able to talk about that. He'll hold back at the sight of a woman. That's, that's an interesting subject right there. How do you, what do you feel about the climate of just... Just three minutes, I'm ready for you. Men, men and women now. Like a man can't, you can't be that masculine. Like the look, the look on your face. Me and him work together. Me and him work together, and I would always come. I'm like, bro, 
I don't want to get told on that job. Like, what you got told on for? I wasn't smiling. <laughs> How many times I come yeah. here, like, man, they, they up there, they want to told. They say, I'm, I'm looking this way or I'm being this way. And it's like in an ultra sensitive world. But then there's a lot of women now that are very, very aggressive with their approach to men. And it's like, if I even speak to you with the sternness or just the respect that I would give another man, if a man talked to me that way, oh, it's going to be a witch hunt. What what is it's, it's it's a touchy sensitive subject when it comes to that. Nice. We talking about secondary issues. Yeah. This whole interview we've addressed a lot of secondary issues, and we can't ignore those primaries. Right. Back to the square root. Back to the square root of when they gave out subsidized housing. They said, "I'll give you housing, but you can't have any men in it." Facts. That's a fact. You got a man in the house. Well, that man is supposed to be providing. Since he can't provide, then we're going to take him out of the house. Now you raise these kids all by yourself. If you have that man in his house, then that man will be removed and you'll lose your Section 8. So the, the state becomes your dad. So now, yeah. with the, the state not only becoming your father, the woman is saying, I don't need this man due to the fact that this man is going to make me lose my housing. And if this man comes in here and loses my housing, then I'll be stuck and I'll be homeless. So as she grows and she continues to live in this housing by herself, free of a man, she begins to make decisions thinking like a man. <laughs> and the feminization, high femininity, the femininity of that becomes this word that is sprouted called feminism. And feminism, they've made it seem as if it's a negative thing. It's nothing wrong with a woman being proud of who she is and what she represents and having the utmost respect for herself and her fellow sisters. But toxic feminism is when you have that and you have no respect for the man and you have no respect because this has been dwindled down and it's been dwindled because you've been taught that if you have a man, then what you pride the most, your family and your home and your shelter will be taken from you. Subconsciously, you begin to start moving on with that mentality. I don't need a man. A man does nothing but problems. Now you have a generation that have been birthed on that. High feminization, the femininity of that. So when we talk about feminism, we also have to talk about toxic feminism. When we talk about masculinity, we have to talk about toxic masculinity. There's nothing wrong with being a man's man. But at one point does that, I can't show no emotion. I can't cry, I can't, I can't teach, I can't help, I can't seem vulnerable, I can't be depressed. When does that become toxic? So now I'm raising my son, look at me like a man, be a man, don't cry. That tough love made you say fuck love. That tough love made you look at your daddy like nigga, that nigga beat me blood. I had a C blood, that nigga beat me blood. I miss school. Nigga came in my game, I played a bad game, blood. Nigga put me on punishment, blood. It make you look at him like, nigga, you hate authority. Now anything that has an authoritative reference or figure like you running from it or you challenging it. Yeah. You challenging it. Next nigga put their hands on me, I'm killing them cuz on my mama. Yeah. All primary issues that get ignored. They don't talk about this in psychology. They don't talk about this in classes. They don't talk about this in urban strategy. Address the root, not the symptom. You hear what I'm yeah, talking about? It's rare that you find that. So now when we have platforms 
that are unadulteratedly free and we can speak on these when these release to the world now people can find research of what they find because there's nothing that we're talking about that hasn't been talked about it yeah. just hasn't been provided to the public and a level where they have access to it malcolm talked about it mohammed talked about it marcus garvey talked about it frederick douglas talked about it edges cleaver talked about it so many different and 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 those are just the black leaders but this conversation has happened in every world, every country. We just got to learn to start putting it together, man. Like I say, those unusual collaborations. Yeah. Where you linking it in, you putting this stuff together, you you making it happen. Unusual. Yeah. yeah, unusual collaborations. So, I see you got a crowd building up out there. They, they got yeah, the music playing. They like, man, tell tell him, Shamo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, give us this. This your baby right here. Give us this. How did this start, and how does it align with your music? And then, you know, I got. I'm, I'm gonna come. The song ain't too proud to beg, brother. Give, drop them jewels on us, like you dropping these jewels on us right now. You up here getting off, like I'm talking about, man. It's, it's like for real. We we on that. You know, it's it's dope it's air, man. West Coast meets Nas. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's in there. Dope air. So dope air. Developing opportunity for people to evolve, and everyone rises above. I took a negative construct and turned it into something positive. Right. I, I asked myself that. Sorry, I asked myself, man, how the fuck he got a store named Dope Era in Oakland? <laughs> and then he came and said, nah, we, the name, yeah, we flipped it on its ear. Just because you, you switched the narrative. The narrative of Dope Era was when we grew up, it was something negative. But when you realize it really wasn't negative, everything was dope in our era except for the dope. Yeah. It's black owned stores, it's family, communities was playing together, kids all networked with each other. We played sports together, we laughed, we walked, we caught buses together, we talked, we went to school together, we went to communities that wasn't worried about, you know, the inter integration. There was no separation or segregation. We was all one community. Yeah. We all had love for each other. Our, you know, your grand your neighbor could get your could beat your ass. <laughs> you feel me? You can go to your neighbor's house, go spend a night, ask your cousin, man, can let me spend a night. Nowadays let me tell you Ain't nobody coming over here. Even Lil Dirk said it. Lil Dirk said the other day, he said, I'm, my best friend ain't never been to my house. Period. That's he, crazy. He said, best friend, we've been best friends for years. He's his own best friend does not go to his house. It'd be crazy. Zero like trust in the world. So we turned around, we flipped the narrative. We flipped what was negative, the dope era. And then we said, man, this is what we're doing. We develop an opportunity. And when you develop opportunity, people evolve. If I give you an opportunity, that's going to give you a place to do something different. And that difference, you begin to evolve. You begin to see the root of your errors and you go back and you replant your seeds. And the replenishing of your seeds, now you have a beautiful harvest that is set to fruit. Absolutely. What's, 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 what's the word called? What's the word called? Affirmation? Affirmations. Yeah, like positive affirmations. So we talking to Prezi about the Do Better song. It's like every time people hear that song, it's an affirmation. Right. It's telling you what not to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then you add the beat to it. You know that beat, the drums. Yeah. It's, it's gonna it's gonna play in the chords. Then you have this. Everybody walking out this story, walking out with an affirmation. Yeah. You walk. You doing something different, man. And you right here in the heart of it. Right. Yeah. You can feel it. You can feel. You right here in the heart of it. I'm ready to go out there and turn up the party with this. You right in the heart of it, man. We did this right here in the heart of it, like, and we build it, and and like I say. Now I'm partnering up with 
local governing officials. I'm partnering up with people that are running for Congress. I'm partnering up with the police departments and things like that. Those days where I'll post a picture with me and the chief of police and people be like, blood, you fuck with the police, what you doing? Yeah, Why yeah, not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll go to jail yeah. and beg to be a pot worker. Yeah, that's a stakeholder in, in the change. Yeah, yeah. Get you down. Like you know what I'm saying, you go to jail, you go to you go to jail and beg to be a pod worker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You beg to be a porter. That's so true. For free, eight cents. Yeah. You beg to go work in a cafeteria, yeah. sit in the warden's office, to go work in a library. And ask me why I'm taking a picture. And you mad because I'm taking change, a yeah. you mad because I'm taking a picture with the police officers, who are on the brink of doing something different in our community. Man, we want to thank you. What new music can we be? I just drop music all the time, man. Me and music now is just a ventilation vault for me. I just drop music. I just dropped the album yesterday. Like, I don't even really be promoting. That's just, your new journaling? Yeah, that's my that's my new journal. Yeah. That, that's your man cave? That's just my man cave. I go to the studio and that's I just dope. work and I just drop music. Like, people be like, you look up, you're like, damn, bro, you dropped 10 albums this year already? <laughs> yeah, damn. Yeah. Had a lot in me. Yeah. That's just my music. I talk, I talk about it. Man, we put it up, set it up, man. You know, we hear that, right? We did the prison tour not too long ago. We did the schools, not prisons, and we're just gonna continue to keep building. You know, allegiances and alliances continue to combine with people that are doing similar work or people that are interested in doing that work, and let's keep going. Let's keep building. I appreciate you guys coming to the city. Yeah, man. Thank you for your, your time, yeah. your wisdom, your clarity. Like, yeah, you, yeah. you shout out so to my brother Fats, man. Um, Absolutely. A real friend of mine, um, you know, uh, up against it right now. And yeah, in situations that, you know, you guys have walked and may his outcome be the same as you guys. Amen. You know, be able to sit back and come back and return to the family again and the citizens. Uh, but there are several individuals like that that we want that same faith for. Absolutely. But uh, I appreciate you guys, man. Thank um, you. We thank you much. Let's continue to keep building, man, and, and, and representing change. Absolutely. I'm with it. Yeah. Before we go, I want to send a big shout out to the Bay. The Bay in its totality, especially right here, just walking around, because people had a misperception of all oh, this, this, that, the other, this, this, that, and the other. Y'all know the saying, real nigga going to go where he going to go, and he going to get that respect, and it's going to be returned. You know what I'm saying? And for the people that don't like the N-word, don't take it like that. You know <laughs> Between the lines, Jack. Uh, thanks to Oakland. Thanks to the people out here. All the delicious food we had. Whoever made them lamb chops. Where are they at? Uh, uh, fat Santa. It says somebody. Man, I don't know what it was. Fire. Fire. Lamb, Fire. Man, <laughs> lamb chops. I'm sorry. That garlic shrimp noodle. Boy, listen. Boy. Awesome. <laughs> Nice. Fat sister cook her ass off. Man. We get out, man. Auntie Brenda, everybody get out, man. Yeah. The thing. Hey, Ray, man. Thank y'all so much. Strangest fruit. Um, I love the concept yes, of that. You know, a white person wrote that song. Yeah, the Jewish guy. The Jewish poem. Guy. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. Real quick before we tell yeah. you what happened when you got off the elevator. <laughs> oh no, I was I was in a. I was in a San Ramon. San Ramon, I think. Uh -huh. We were coming to San Francisco like about a month ago, and I had the strangest uh, fruit sweatshirt. And it was like a white lady, and you could tell her husband was a black man. They were older, right. and she waited till he got off the elevator. She was like, "That is not good." And I was like, "Wait, let me tell you." Like, I wanted to break down right. like the concept and the podcast over, but yeah, she took off. Yeah, quick. nah, yeah. But was, like you said, yeah, it was that. It was poem. a Jewish guy. He wrote it for Billie Holiday. Absolutely. In the thirties, and, and they had a secret friendship. Like, it wasn't supposed to be a line, but a lot of people thought Billie Holiday was a white woman. Right. 
She was very fair-skinned, and she began performing it, and they would tell her she, uh, they actually banned her from a lot of places from yep. performing that record, and they yep. told her she couldn't perform it. Until the day she Kanye died, you know, she, 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 till the day she died, even before Kanye was able to remix it, Nina Simone actually repopularized it. So in her, Nina Simone wrote that record. And after she did that, she did another record called Mississippi Goddamn. My Angelo did a poem that mentioned it, but Nina Simone did it. And she was very heavy in Negroid features. So she wasn't the most prettiest woman at the time when she did it. And so she didn't, she wasn't received by the masses of music and music changed. But when Nina, Nina Simone did it, it was crazy. She said after she performed that record, her voice broke. Yeah. And she went through a mental breakdown. She she like went crazy. I didn't know that part. And it was a, a protest record. Too. It was a protest record. Yeah. It was huge, Which, it was a crazy record. When you look at, when you listen to that record now, you're like, whoa, that shit is crazy. Yeah. Like. He dropped, he just mic dropped the shit out of Nah, him. super dope, man, but I love it, no, man. I, I love the history the of things, of man. Strangest Fruit, man, I love the concept. I like the, the, the title of that and I like, the unusual collaboration, man. And I wish you guys nothing but continued success man. and continue moving Thank forward, you, man. Thank, Thank you all for visiting our city. Back, Thank you. Any day. Yes, sir. For yes, sure. Sir. My man. Indeed. Appreciate you. Great to My man. Great for sure. Y'all have a good one. And we out. All right. Thank all you, right. man. All that was right. an amazing conversation. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good.